from the poorhouse to the palace, Bethel Baptist Church is pleased to bring you this uplifting program hosted by Dr. Doug Castle. Please stay with us and open your heart as Dr. Castle opens God's Word. Thank you for joining us today here from the poorhouse to the palace, and we are in the book of Zechariah, chapter four, looking at the fifth of eight, the eight visions of the night that Zechariah saw, and we've uh, spent several days looking at the menorah and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But we have uh, today we're going to come to verses four through six and look at the two witnesses. And the Bible says this: Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by my, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, Zechariah is asking and inquiring who the two witnesses are. You remember that the Mosaic law required that at the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything was to be established. The use of two witnesses is seen all throughout the Bible. There were two angels that went with uh, the Lord to see the cry of Sodom. There were two servants that went with Abraham and Isaac to Mount Moriah. Caleb and Joshua were the faithful witnesses of the promised land. Moses and Elijah were present when Christ was glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration, heavenly witnesses, and of course, uh, Peter, James, and John, uh, earthly witnesses. Again, two or three witnesses. Uh, usually you see two. And Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses of the first half of the tribulation, the beginning of sorrows. Jesus sent the disciples out two by two, the 12 and then the 70. Here we have two. Uh, Jesus hung between two thieves. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament, two witnesses. And here we have two witnesses of the operation of God's spirit with the restoration of Israel after their captivity. Now, these two witnesses right here again are Zerubbabel, the political leader of the seed of David, uh, heir to the throne, but just a not not on the throne, but a, but a ruler, and Joshua, the religious leader, the high priest. Now, did you know that God created three institutions that are to work together? God gave the home, the civil government, and the church. Stephen called Israel a church in Acts chapter 7. Uh, he called it the church in the wilderness. These are to work together, not against each other. Even the world wants to unite religion and politics. Read Revelation 13, 17, and 18. And uh, the, the only way the politics and religion are reconciled together is when, is when God is in control by word and spirit through a three, theocratic rule, through a three, theocracy, not a, not a monarchy. And, and God will reconcile go government and religion one day during the millennium, during the millennium amen? And because uh, we're looking here at the political and the religious ruler working together. And that was God's intent. That, by the way, I believe that's still God's intent. Our founding fathers uh, protected the people in our constitution by providing that if people ever became disgruntled with the injustices of our current government, we may remove it and set up a new one. God blessed America because America chose God and made the Bible the law of the land. And the Holy Spirit uh, was free to, to be at work and great revivals took place after the Revolutionary War. And let, let me just say this, uh, I've said it before, America is and Israel are unique. Israel is the nation, the only nation that God ever picked 
for his own nation, his own people. And America is the first and the only nation without any pagan history. Now, I understand we're making some today, but when America was established, we had no history of paganism or idolatry. We are the nation that picked God. And God blessed America because of that. And uh, America saw four great revivals within 250 years. The Great Awakening under Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and the Wesleys from 1734 to 1756. And then the second Great Awakening that began in 1790 began in Western Kentucky and spread throughout the United States from 1796 to 1802. And then the third Great Awakening with the Evangelical Alliance, that wasn't a bad term back then, it is now, and the Fulton Street Prayer Revival in 1858 to the 1930s, and then the revival of the 1960s and uh, that, that we saw under great men like J. Frank Norris and, and uh, B.R. Lakin and Brother Hiles and Brother Roloff and John Rice and Bill Rice and all, I mean, all those old uh, Lee Robertson and Tom Malone. I mean, we could go on and on and on uh, through that through the 1960s when the hippies and the sex, drug, and rock and, rock and roll were rebelling against uh, the military and against the government. And, and uh, But great men of God stood up and held us to great standards and saw souls saved. Now, I mean, Dallas Billington, boy, names just keep coming to mind. But God spoke to Zerubbabel and said, I'm doing something. He said, I'm doing something. And he said, what I'm doing, I'm not doing by physical might. It's being done by great power. It's not being done by great power in this world. He said, but what I'm doing, I'm doing by my spirit. God said that it was his spirit the Holy Spirit in the lives of men, the Holy Spirit working through Zerubbabel and working through Joshua. It wasn't Zerubbabel and Joshua because they were good men. It was because a great Holy Spirit was working through those men. Those two men had yielded themselves to God and God said that my spirit is going to have its own way through your spirit and now we can have revival. Keep the, whole, keep the oil full in the bowl. The Holy Ghost has come. He is the light that lighteth every man. It is the spirit of revival that brings new life to old life uh, that, and shines the gospel message around the world. And as the Jews were aligned to the Gentiles, so the Gentiles today need to be a light also. And God's people are not able to stand in their own power or their own strength, but by the spirit of the Lord, just as Samson did. By the way, we just need good old-fashioned revival, a prayer revival that confesses sins, forsakes self, and beseeches God's spirit to have God's way in our lives, our churches, and our community. Jeremiah 33, call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And when God's spirit is put in control, you can stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You will see the power of the gospel. You work wonders. You'll see the mighty hand of God. That's why uh, God goes on to say here now, he says, who, who art thou, O great mountain, uh, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. And God said, I'm going to bring forth the headstones of the mountain. Remember, the land of Israel is a land of mountains, and mountains represent kingdoms in the Bible. And God's saying, who art thou, Babylon? The Babylonian Empire had been destroyed. The Medes and Persians were were now in power, but would soon be overthrown by Greece, and then Rome would rise and overthrow Greece, and Rome would fall, and it's rising again, uh, but this time it will fall
fall and never to rise again. And you know what? Israel will be there when earthly kings and kingdoms fall, and Jerusalem will be the capital of the world when the owls and satyrs dance in the barren forgotten land of Babylon. We'll have a heavenly king and a heavenly kingdom on the earth. And Jesus will say to this mountain, be thou removed from thence and cast into the sea, and it will. You thought God was uh, going to, uh, was talking about moving dirt, and Jesus was talking about moving kingdoms. He's going to throw two mountains into the sea during the tribulation. One will destroy one-third of all the sea uh, life, and the other will destroy one-third of all the fresh water supply. And every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain uh, and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and rough places plain, Isaiah told us in chapter 40, verse 4. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 3, verse 5, the, the man who, Jesus, by the way, it was him speaking through Isaiah, and it's him speaking on the earth in Luke 3. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. To men of faith, every mountain shall either become a plain uh, uh, or be cast into the sea, Alexander McLaren said. Listen to me, I have every confidence that as long as men rule on the earth, this earth is going to be a mess. I also have every confidence that God is coming and he's going to fix it all one day and that's going to be a glorious day. And that's what he was telling Zebrabel and, and Joshua and that's what he's telling you and I today. Look, the kings and kingdoms one day, the headstone is coming. He's coming forth with shoutings. It was customary for the chief political official to lay the capstone. The capstone is the last piece of the puzzle. The shout of grace as the capstone is laid and, and we heard it, it is finished on it, it is finished on Calvary and Jesus came with grace and he's coming back again too and God will have everything his own way he does not vacate his throne I may go on vacation but he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep grace is the capstone of the temple of God and Christ is the cornerstone elect and presses precious he is the foundation that was laid and no other foundation can be laid grace again the the, the top the capstone and the multitude wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth and the out of grace is heard in Romans 8 and verses 31 through 39. What shall we say then to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who, maketh, who also maketh intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter nay in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor power nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, I've gone a little long today, but it's been awful good. Amen. Hey, Jesus is coming again, and he is going to knock down all the kingdoms of the world and establish a kingdom, his kingdom, in power, in presence, and in peace, and nothing shall overthrow it. Nothing shall overturn it. That's good comfort for you and I today in the world we live in. Amen. Don't let your heart, don't be the man whose heart's failing him for fear. God hath not given the spirit of fear, but a power of love and of sound mind. Why? Because I know the power of God. I've seen it through the scriptures and I see it's coming again. And I hope that encourages you today. May the Lord bless you until our time tomorrow. No longer a pauper in rags of poverty. 
you've been enjoying the program from the poorhouse to the palace. Find Pastor Castle's Bible commentaries and other resources when you visit the website bbclinton.com. Archive broadcasts of this radio program are available at wytjradio.com. Listen to the latest broadcast wherever you are or catch up on what you missed whenever you want by subscribing to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Just search From the Poorhouse to the Palace. From the poor-